Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's two o'clock on Tuesday in the eastern side of the United States of America, daylight time, every Tuesday at this time for eight years. I've been talking to some leader who's experienced, some leader who has gems of information, some really precious stuff that we need. Um, I just turned 76, Andrew, and I'm learning more now than I learned in the first 75 years of my life because I'm willing to learn. So come come to this this session today. The next half hour will be really important in your life. We'll reveal some important things to you. So our, uh, I'm going to let him introduce the topic because it's behind him on the book, but Andrew Bryant is coming into us today from Portugal. Andrew, tell people a little bit about yourself and why you're doing this work that you're doing. Okay, well, I'm coming to you from Portugal, but I'm not Portuguese. I'm British by birth. I'm Australian by passport. Um, I'm managing director of a Singapore company, and I'm Brazilian by wife. So I am a global citizen. Um, I spend quite a bit of time on your side of the, the pond, as we would say in England. Uh, I'm a regular visitor to the United States. Um, I have many clients in, in around America, but mostly in Silicon Valley. And I am a C-suite advisor. I'm an author. I'm a speaker. And I'm a coach on the topics of self-leadership and leadership. Um, that's me. We're going to talk about the new leadership playbook, which is on, on your background. That's your latest book. You've got others, but your story, you didn't start out doing leadership, did you? No, I'm, as I said, I'm, I'm English by birth. I went to an English grammar school, an all boys school. And uh, just before my A-levels, the exams before university, the school and its wisdom decided to merge my boys grammar school with the girls high school. And I will leave it to your listeners to imagine why or how I became distracted, but I didn't get the grades that I should have done to do medicine, which is what my, my, my purpose was at that time. I thought I would look really cool in a mask, uh, little did I know that if <laughs> the, the last two years I'd be wearing one nonstop, um, but I didn't make it into to medicine, but I got I got good enough grades to get into physiotherapy, which um, uh, you would perhaps call um, uh, physical therapy and perhaps chiropractic. So I, I did a mixture of of those two things. And uh, that was that was my first career for a few years. But uh, like many male physiotherapists, um, I discovered I was sick of sick people and had much more fun working in the arena of sports. And this is the early 1980s. And if you go back to the early 1980s, I know you're, you're young enough to go back that far. The early 80s was, uh, well, it was before positive psychology. It was even before sports psychology. But we, we were curious, and, and that's an important point for everybody listening. We were curious about human performance. Why just two athletes who do the same amount of training, but they perform differently on the day? And of course, this is mindset, mental attitude, focus, goal setting. All of those things were brand new in the 80s. And I was there at the cutting edge. And I did the pivot from physiotherapy into working in, 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 in what you'd now call sports psychology. And then I moved from England to Australia because I wanted to surf and windsurf for my own gratification. 
And I got successful with some sports teams in Australia and sport in Australia is, is sponsored by corporate and very much like in the US. And I came to the attention of a managing director and he said, well, you help my sports team improve. Now come work with my leadership team because they suck. That's how they speak in Australia, of course. And uh, so I went in and I did what I did as a physiotherapist with a, an athlete or, or a team is I observed. One of the things that my grounding taught me was to watch. In, in medicine, when I trained, prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. So I went in with an, with, a, with an open mind, right? Unlike some consulting companies who go in looking for an excuse to give you their methodology. I went in with a tabula razor, a blank sheet of paper, and I got results by doing that, observing how leaders, managers, spoke, behave, acted, what was working, what wasn't. That's brilliant. So just for the framing, uh, to quote my colleague, who's also a leadership development person, uh, Jeff McGee, he says, suck is halfway to success. You don't get all the way. So it gives you a different <laughs> framing. So, so um, Andrew, um, I spent part of my career, 40 years, part of it as a musical conductor. And uh, I had the pleasure of premiering uh, Vaughn Williams, Chichester uh, Hodier in Ukraine in, in the late 90s. But Vaughn Williams was known to said music did not reveal all of its secrets to just one person. So you change that word music to leadership. So you bring to the table some very specific things about leadership. And I would guess that there's some things that are missing because I, I, I perceive and from my experience, I know Leadership is a very misunderstood word and concept. So what do you bring to the table and why do we need this, this new, this new theology, this theology, this new philosophy that you have? Yeah. Yeah. I often, I, I often get asked, you know, what's your methodology? What's your pedagogy or your andragogy? Well, to carry on the story a little bit more, and, I, and I'd love to backtrack to the to the conductor, because I think being a conductor is a great metaphor for, for leadership. And I want to let, let's circle back to that. But let me carry on the story a little bit. I helped this managing director and his leadership team, but I experienced some imposter syndrome, as we often do. I didn't have a leadership qualification. I had at that time I had qualifications in physiotherapy. I had actually I had a postgraduate in traditional Chinese medicine by this time and some training in psychology, but I didn't have a leadership qualification. So what do you do? You go off and do an MBA. So I went off to do an MBA um, at the University of Western Australia. And we're doing the leadership unit. And I'm arguing with the lecturer. I'm going, this doesn't work in real life. This isn't practical. It's theoretical. And he was a great guy. He, he, he really, uh, I really take my hat off to him because he wasn't in any way insulted. He said, Andrew, you've got some great ideas. You should go do your own research and write your own book. And the rest, as they say, is history because I did take those observations do my literature research, what are the leadership theories that I, I thought were pragmatic? And being a physiotherapist, it was always about what, what's going to work on the field, what's going to work in, 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 the, in the workplace. And that's always been my, my driver, my passion, my modus operandi, you know, waking people up to do things at work. I, I'm, not, I'm not fussed about theoretical stuff. That's why I didn't do a PhD you know, I, I can read research. I've got lots of friends who've got PhDs. I'm looking, I'm a practitioner. What can I give people to play better today? It's, and it starts with us. 
in, in studying the works of Murray Bowen with, uh, it, it's got a leadership process, he's a psychiatrist, but based on managing self, Burns and Bass talk about transformational leadership. I studied with the best conductors in the world, including Sir David Wilcox from England when he was living. If we, the, the culture is a reflection of us. And if we're not disciplined, wow, what a difference that makes. So start with self-leadership. Why did you focus on that? And why is that so critical for leadership? So, you know, the, the back in the 90s when I first started doing this and I, I went to um, I went to a, a speakers meeting and you have them in the U.S. The, the, it's called the National Speakers Association, started by a guy called Cabot Robert. And I've been to their conventions There's you know, 2000 speakers, no listeners, but 2000 speakers. No, sorry. That's a little speaker joke there. Um, and I I. I went to this speakers meeting in, in Australia and I was talking to a psychologist and he said, well, what do you speak about? And I said, well, it's about, you know, developing the self-awareness so that you can better be aware of others so that you can better influence them. And he said, oh, well, you mean self-leadership? And I said, yeah, that's it, self-leadership. And at that point, I thought we had invented the term. And this was 1998, 1999. I can't remember exactly the date. And so I started talking about self-leadership, writing about self-leadership, and because the, the whole concept, you can't lead others unless you first lead yourself. The idea of the aircraft, when the oxygen masks fall from the ceiling, place over your nose and mouth before assisting others. Because there's a clear correlation. And the thing that I noticed when I was starting observing leaders and teams is the correlation between self-awareness and other awareness. If people don't know what's driving, motivating, reacting them, they're terrible at reading anybody else. So that's why I started with the self-leadership piece. And as I started writing blogs and articles, I, I was contacted by Dr. Anna Kazan. Um, she's from Brazil, although my wife is from Brazil. Uh, Anna and I have never to this date met. We, we wrote a book uh, back in 2011 um, using Skype. So this is, you know, the first remote work for me. And Anna had done her research in self-management. And so we wrote the book, um, Self-Leadership, How to Become a More Successful, Efficient, and Effective Leader from the Inside Out, um, based on looking for that universal theory of self-leadership. As I did the research, I discovered we had not invented the term. The term self-leadership was first used by a guy called Charles Mance in 1987. So I need to, you know, I referenced him in the book. And the concept of self-leadership goes all the way back to Plato or Epictetus or, or Lao Tzu. You know, leading, leading others is, 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 is strength, but leading self is true power. And it's where you got to live. So. Um... So here, let's go back to the analogy here. Here's me in front of the orchestra. So people misconceive leadership is you, you kind of reference this. I'm going to go back to what you said about influence. So, you know, you got union musicians, people think you're good at, you're a dictator, but you got a little white stick. You can't make, these are union players. They're going to play for two hours and leave, but you can influence them. You can't make them do anything. So how does that fit into your analogy? You want to talk about the conductor. So I want to take us back there. Okay. Well, you're going to love this. So I, 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 I speak, I, I do facilitation, but I do a lot of coaching. And I was working with a guy who, American, who works in one of your very large food franchises that everybody would know um, that I can't mention for privacy's sake. 
and and he works across the organization and he was struggling to get the executive presence and influence at the C-suite. He was one level below the C-suite. And he was touching every part of the, of the organization. And I said, well, what's your narrative about what you do? And he said, well, we're the connective tissue. We hold everything together. And I said, no wonder you're not getting the influence you want because your metaphor sucks and because it precedes success, right? I, because I've... Doing physiotherapy, I did anatomy. I've dissected a body. Connective tissue is horrible. It's fibrous and it, and it's not sexy. The heart is sexy, you know. Even 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 the liver has you know has some chutzpah, but connective tissue is meh. I said you've got to change your metaphor. What is it that you do? And you know we 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 we, we played with a few metaphors. Nothing worked. I said go away, come back next time, and tell me what it is. And he came back and he said. I'm the conductor with that. All these parts of the organization work and think that they are doing it themselves. But my job is to work across the organization and get them to work in harmony. If I don't, the food doesn't get delivered to the restaurants and the, the quality control doesn't happen and the IT doesn't do what it needs to do and therefore accounting can't do what it needs to do. And so I'm a conductor. He changed this narrative. He changed this metaphor. His self-leadership changed. And the CEO, the next week, invited him to run the meeting that brought all the leaders together. And he went from obscurity to leadership by changing his inner narrative. Oh, my word. That's a powerful story. So if you're listening to this, we're, this is Synervision Leadership Foundation. Ensemble of Music is Synergy. So it took Synergy... We get that through a common vision as leaders. So Cinevision Leadership Foundation, you're listening to the nonprofit exchange. If you just happen by on one of the social media channels, the nonprofitexchange.org. Um, your first uh, first round of, of conversation was around, you can't lead others until you first lead yourself. And let's move to, to get results. You need a leadership framework. So can you talk about, is that the next place we need to go with this? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for the segue. So um, this book, The New Leadership Playbook, my fourth, um, came about because I was working with a team in Silicon Valley, exec, you know, with working with the CEO, the executive leadership team, and, and the chief people officer came to me and said, look, can you write a book for our managers so we can scale the leadership throughout the organization? But it needs to be really practical. It needs to be management stuff a little less the strategic leadership stuff. And I said, well, I've taught that stuff in the past. Let me let me look through my material and see what I can put together for you. And I thought, well, I want to put it together in a framework, in a model. And I realized that in every diagnosis that I ever did with a leadership team or a leader is I looked at expectations. Had the leader set clear expectations? And I would tell every leader, whether it's commercial or not-for-profit, that if you're not getting results, go buy a mirror or go look in the mirror because you probably didn't set the expectations clearly in the first place. Oh my so that's word. point yes. number one. Yes, preach it. Go for it. <laughs> right, because, yeah, am I preaching? Am I now, right? So, so the point being is that we have this vision in our head, but our ability to articulate it and get the feedback whether they understood it. I mean, how many leaders have gone in front of a team and given some directions and then said, do you understand? 
And I ask leaders, when you do this, do they understand? And they say, no, they don't. And I said, actually, they do. They understand what they understand. They don't necessarily understand what you want them to understand. So you've got to create a feedback loop around this. So that's step one. So first part of the formula is clear expectations times, times what? Times mindset and motivation. If people don't have the buy-in and they don't have an intrinsic motivation to do the work, you will get very substandard results. So, you know, clearly mindset, Simon Sinek did this beautifully with his TED talk, is you've got to start with why. Why is this important to me? That's the small why, my motivation. And why is it important to the organization? That's the big why. So I know why I'm doing it. And so many leaders fail to articulate, I need you to do this because. And what comes after is small I, big I. Here's what's important to you. It'll give you exposure. It'll give you visibility. It'll give you new skills. Here's why it's important to the organization. It, it will help us reach more people. It'll help us transform more lives. It is So that's part two. Yes. Go for, uh, so, um, yeah, keep going. So at clear expectations, times mindset and motivation, times right behaviors. And this is where you know, the, the pedal hits the metal or whatever it is. The, the analogy of that is that so many leaders talk about what you need to do, but they can't actually observe or communicate the actual behaviors required, right? Um, and, and this requires that, that observation skill that thankfully as a physiotherapist had been drilled into me. What behaviors is the individual doing? So in this book, there are 12 plays, which I would call a conversation one of which is the feedback conversation. Most leaders fail abysmally to give effective feedback because they cannot say, look, Simon, in the last meeting that we had two days ago, right, you raised your voice at your colleague and you cut them off mid-sentence, right? Now you get a visual of that, Right, you can hear the person raising the voice, and you can you can imagine them cutting off mid sentence. That's a, a specific behavioral observation, right? Most people go, "Oh, you know, Simon, you need to behave better in meetings." Well, how's Simon going to process that? The brain doesn't know what to do with that. But if but if you say, "Hey, Simon, in the last meeting you raised your voice, you cut off Sarah mid conversation." What do you think the impact of that is on Sarah's motivation and output? Oh, now you're putting somebody in the driver's seat. They have to take ownership for their own behaviors. And you put them at choice point to adjust their behaviors towards results. So the framework is clear expectations times mindset and motivation times right behavior equals accelerated results. Yes. Oh, man, that's... Um... I have to say, that's what we teach in Center Vision Leadership Foundation. You're just amplifying it in a profound way. I'm surprised, Andrew, at how few leaders, and I work with leaders in corporate America, a lot of leaders in nonprofit and clergy, which is a more difficult place to do all of this, by the way. Um, I'm surprised at how many, even powerful leaders, are timid about saying, this is what I want, and then having the skill to identify what it looks like. So we actually... We set up conflict by setting up problems by not having clear expectations. So that was so important. That's a key. That's a key piece of leadership. It's also a key piece of not causing conflict ourselves. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, I, 
I didn't think the world needed another leadership book from me. All right. There are, you know, 2000 leadership books get published every year plus. And, and I really didn't want to add to the noise. But when I was set the challenge to make this very pragmatic and very practical and things that you and I would take for granted need to be done. And yeah, at the same time, I'm not perfect. And I doubt you are too, Hugh. You, you know, you said you're 76. I'm 61. I mean, I'm, I'm version 6.0. I've definitely had some upgrades in my, my listening skills, my empathy, and and I've you know I've tripped over my own shoelaces enough times to know I'm work in progress. But I think you know, nonprofit or you know, leading volunteers is the toughest work. I, I I've both I've been president of the Asia Professional Speakers Association. And and you know, so being a leader of a volunteer organization is a nightmare, but being, you know, speakers are like, you know, herding cats on cocaine, I imagine, right? Um, you know, these are super egotistical individuals who all think, you know, all have a voice. And and I learned some 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 significant lessons. I mean, I've written books on leadership, but when I when I led this organization, lots of conflict around people's agendas and having to be very clear about what I wanted. I am now, having moved to Portugal, been invited to be the president of the Professional Speakers Association Spain. I don't even live in Spain, and they asked me to be their leader. And it is so much easier this time around because I'd learned the lessons. I put a team together, a team I've never met. You know, I, I phoned everybody. I said, what do you do best? What are you passionate about? What, what's your skill set, right? Okay, great. Well, I'd love to tap in on that, but what do you need from me? You know, what 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 would I give you that would make it worthwhile working as part of my executive leadership team? And they said, well, you know, I want some coaching or I want some mentoring around this. And I said, I'll, I'll give that to you. You give me your blood, sweat and tears around the area that you're great at. And, and that's the, the thing is just just going exponentially well, because I just did those two things. So Andrew lives in Portugal. He dropped a hint. He works in America. So this is an international podcast and uh, you can you can talk to Andrew and he can come wherever you are, but he comes to America. So, so Andrew, you mentioned the books. So I want to show your website um, is um, selfleadership.com with no punctuation, selfleadership.com. So here's three books on the home page. So uh, before we go there, what will they find when they go to your website? And there's a contact button so they can contact you. What else will they find on your website? Well, um, so just underneath, you, you'll see, you know, right there on the website, you, you see the definition of self-leadership that uh, I put up there with Dr. Anna Kassan, which is the, that self-leadership is a practice of intentionally influencing your thinking, feeling, and actions towards your objectives. And, and I think you might want to pick up on that word intentionality because, you know, I'm at, you, you and I are very synergists around that. What else will they find? You know, you'll see, learn more about self-leadership. There's a whole bunch of stuff about self-leadership that you can apply to yourself, that you can go through to the new leadership playbook. So once you can lead yourself or you're developing your self-leadership, you need the plays to scale and maximize your leadership. Most of the people that I, you know, that that have bought the book that uh, that have given me feedback said, "Hey, I read it, and then I bought a copy for every one of the managers on my team," um, which is which is great. I'm not, I'm not, I don't make a fortune out of the book, and this is not why I do it. You know, my passion and purpose is to wake people up to be the best version of themselves, and it is this creates a framework to do that. And if I get the call, as you say. 
to jump on the plane. I've, you know, I've already been to America once this year. Um, in a typical year, I would be in the States three or four times in a year. Um, uh, air travel is returning to normal, thankfully. Our luggage is not, but those are other stories. Um, <laughs> so uh, uh, I have one too many connections. Before we go back, I want to talk about conversations of leadership. We got about uh, 10, uh, eight, nine minutes left, but self-leadership this this red book that's a that's a benchmark isn't it it is it is i mean it's the book that contains the definition of self leadership it's it's used on some mba programs it's it's referenced by most people who are doing research in the field of self leadership the blue book behind it is um a much shorter version it's suitable for teenagers um, my marketing team said, we love the red book. And I said, great. They said, it's really difficult to read. And I went, excuse me. And I said, well, you're not difficult, but you know, it takes, you know, it's academic and you know, it's, it's researched. Can we just have a, how to do it book? So I wrote the blue book and you can get a version of that off the, off that website with some coaching from me, um, for a few dollars. Um, and then now my flagship book, the new leadership playbook, being human while successfully delivering accelerated results. And that's what I'm all about. Love it, love it, love it. Uh, so we need good leadership books. There's a lot of other things out there. So um, so you say leadership is a series of conversations with people. Talk about that in like sports plays. How does that play out? It is, right? So what do they say? You're as good as your last record, right? You know, if you're a musician. And, and leaders are as good as their last conversation, right? So you, 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 you inspire, you inform, you instruct, you direct people, and you do that one-to-one -one or one-to-many. So leaders have to be really good at conversations. Now, conversation is dialogue, right? And, and uh, communication comes from communio, meaning to share, shared meaning and understanding. In this digital age, and a lot of this book was written during the pandemic and addressing some of those digital issues, but post-pandemic, still only 8% of leaders are engaging in dialogue with their followers on their internal social media platforms, their Yammer or their Teams, right? So leaders get really good at broadcasting but they don't get very good at asking questions and listening to the response and dialoguing. They get very good at saying, oh, this is what we've done. They're not very good at saying, well, these are the challenges we're facing. These are the meetings I'm having and the, 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 the input I'm getting so that people are current with what the leader is doing, right? What, what, you know, what, what dragons is, is the leader fighting? I, people want to know. Otherwise, they think you're, you know, you're, you've got your feet on your desk in the corner office sipping expensive scotch. So dialogue with your people, open up. Only 8% of leaders are actually showing that vulnerability and saying, hey, these are the problems that we currently have and are working on solving. We don't have the solution yet, but we're working on it. I just want to point out he's not, he's not bashing sipping good scotch. Just we all. Oh, hell no. <laughs> But the reference the reference had to come from somewhere didn't it you know? I did. so um <laughs> having a scottish heritage i'm rather fond of it so um you use the word synchronous about us but uh we need to master synchronous and asynchronous leadership in the digital world so asynchronous synchronous what's that about well you and i uh you know we're on the same time right now you're, you're you're speaking i'm listening i'm speaking you're listening and responding but uh, for instance um 
I just set out for my team a whole bunch of requests and 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 instructions um, and ideas um, using um, Slack or WhatsApp. In this particular case, I used WhatsApp, and and they'll they'll get that message when they get that message, and they will work on it, and then they will get back to me, and I will respond to that. So we've had to get used to um, not being in real time. Now, that's huge advantage for many workers, and, and particularly if you're raising kids, for instance, and you, you can be awake and, and work with the kids during the day, and then you can catch up with your work in the evening. That's what work from home demonstrated was possible. And so people were highly motivated and engaged because they had a higher level of autonomy. Many organizations are saying, oh, engagement is down um, and the reason engagement's down is people aren't in the workplace. Let's get them back to the office and engagement will go up. Well, it doesn't. You force people back to the office and many of them leave because they've had a taste of autonomy. And once people have had a taste of autonomy, you can't take it away from them. So getting good at not just broadcasting, but dialoguing and being able to do it, you know, in different time zones and anybody who has a team, you know, outsource their team to the Philippines or India or Estonia, you know, you have to get good at asynchronous communication. And so, you know, you're putting something out there, but you've got to listen and respond to it as it comes back. And that's a new skill for many managers. You didn't talk about this, but you, in this whole half hour, you've revealed what, what I define as blind spots. There's lots of blind spots that we all have. And, you know, I, I teach people that we need a coach. I have two coaches. One of my, my leadership coaches in her mid eighties and she busts my chops. Every time we talk, she asks me questions. I go, Oh, so pretty much leaders ask questions that help um, the leaders that they're working with raise the bar on their understanding and their ownership. And you've said that, that kids are born with this sense of ownership and responsibility. Um, somehow we beat it out of them with as, as adults to, they go away from that. So there's no excuse because we're born with that. We're not born necessarily with leadership skills and the people need somebody like us to help them grow those and be relevant to what they're doing. So Andrew, um, I'm talking too much here. You have given us a wealth of information so people can find you at selfleadership.com. There's a contact button. They can get your books and there's videos on there. This is just a wealth of information. And uh, if you haven't noticed people, this man's got a fire in his spirit about what he does. And so if you're having a bad day, just book Andrew and he'll get you on track. So Andrew, as we're, this has been a very powerful interview for me. Yeah, you know, I do this for a living. You've been very inspiring to me. Um, so what do you want to leave people with today? A challenge or a thought? What do you want to leave people with as we end this great interview? Okay, so we 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 ended with we ended with children, and I I do some you know I do some volunteer work with at risk and disadvantaged te teenagers, teaching them self esteem and self confidence and communication skills. But I have children of my own, and during the pandemic, I was separated from my teenage daughter. So to stay connected, we played Minecraft together, the online building game, and you know I, I was a noob i was useless at it but you know you go meet people where they're at and that's where my daughter was at she loved this game so we would play and chat and i said to her i said look i said i, I need this this armor enchanted can you do it for me and she said yes i could but then you wouldn't learn anything and I went, OMG, my, she was 15 at the time, my 15-year-old daughter just self-leadershiped me. And I went, if she can get it, 
what is the excuse that anybody else has around taking personal responsibility and setting out accountability? And so my challenge to you is, you know, stop blaming, complaining, and playing the victim. Take ownership, accept the reality that whatever your situation you're in, adjust your behaviors and advance towards the success you seek. You just heard great wisdom from Andrew Bryant. Thank you, Andrew, for being our guest today on the Nonprofit Exchange. Absolutely my pleasure, Q. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.